You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 108. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so, so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is special. Not only is this episode highly impactful for anyone who does need to go through or is going through a conscious uncoupling, a conscious completion of a relationship, but also because I have actually been using this process in my own life and relationship with Mr. Lively. In a very mutual, peaceful, and loving way, we have decided several months ago, about two months ago, I think it's been now, to consciously complete our marriage and continue our relationship as friends going forward through the future. We look at ourselves as now being an expanded family where Mr. Lively and Franklin, our Westie, are now living in Oregon, and Ellie and I, the ladies of the house, are staying in Ann Arbor, at least for the time being, living here in the current house that we had planned to have babies and do a big addition in as well. That's not going to be the case, and as you'll hear in the episode, you'll find out why, but I please want you guys to know this has been a decision that we have made with great care and great love. I didn't see it coming in that I never thought we would get here, but I also never thought we would mutually arrive to this beautiful conclusion of that chapter of our relationship and be able to navigate to such a wonderful and fulfilling new chapter as well. I have not shared this right away as we went through this process because I took a lesson from Grace Bonney of Design Sponge, who was on the show early in season one. In her episode, she had really encouraged everyone in their online journeys to process their own situations, especially personal relationship situations in particular, at their own pace and privately, if that made the most sense for them, and then to come and share that news in a appropriate way that felt right for the person when they were ready to share that news with the public. So I love you guys, and you guys honestly are really good friends to me. It's been weird not to share this, but at the same time, I deeply believe it's been the right decision to wait and let ourselves own and process this in our own lives before sharing it with you. So I am so excited now to share this because now I can feel like private Jess and public Jess are the same person again. Please know that any Instagram pictures or anything you've seen over the last several weeks have not been false at all. The emotions and positivity have been there. That doesn't mean that I have shared all of the dark moments that there have been or the hard moments, though I wanted to have that for myself before sharing that. So I needed to own it before I could share it. And because this is a relationship, there are two sides to every story. And Mr. Lively has offered to create a post to share his side of this journey and his experience with it. It's on the blog at jesslively.com slash Mr. Lively Marriage if you'd like to check it out. I honestly was blown away when I read it and it makes me cry every time I read it. And I am so, so grateful to him and our life together. I look at our relationship as a huge success over the last five years, three of them being married. And I'm also so proud of us for choosing to live our values in the deepest way possible and also continue to live our values in our relationship in this new way, given these new circumstances. I know everyone has their own connection to an end of a relationship or particularly a marriage, and I'm asking for your love and support. We've been doing this with our friends and family as well as we shared the news, and by asking for love and support before sharing the news, it has transformed what could have been a very tricky situation into a deeply loving relationship ending for not just ourselves, but also making other people feel comfortable as well. Mr. Lively and I are still in touch and connecting over house issues or dog situations as well. We do see ourselves as having this expanded family. And as such, it has been a true blessing to not feel like we are quote unquote losing something in this new chapter, but truly gaining more than what we thought was possible before. With that in mind, This comes to today's episode with Catherine Woodward Thomas. 
Catherine Woodward Thomas has written a book called Conscious Uncoupling. You may know that term from Gwyneth Paltrow, but the truth is she got that term from Catherine Woodward Thomas. And Catherine has written the book on consciously completing a relationship so that everyone is left whole and in a great place going forward to live happily even after. I've been using this book and her process in our relationship uncoupling, and I have to say the steps, especially the affect labeling, which I truly believe could be useful for everyone in the world, not just those going through breakups, was extremely powerful. The closing ceremony, which you'll hear about in this episode as well, was one of the biggest and most important pieces of this journey for ourselves. I'm so excited to bring you Catherine and to share my journey with you a bit more in this interview. Let's go to the show. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You are so welcome. I'm delighted to be here. This has been a big episode for me, and I've been looking forward to it for a while now. So let's get started. Let's talk about your background and how you got to where you are. You know, that's a big question. <laughs> I could start when I was a baby. How <laughs> I got to where I am. Let me, you know, tongue in cheek, actually start there that a lot of the things that I went through, I think as an infant, where my parents had a really nasty crappy divorce and they were just so young and so unable to cope with the big emotions that were washing over them that they just acted out without thinking. Much of my early life was defined, in fact, by my parents' really ugly divorce. And consequently, a lot of decisions were made about my upbringing that were kind of, how do I want to say it, kind of dislocating or really had me feel like an outsider looking in or different than the other kids. I mean, of course, now if we're looking back and so many of us felt like that. It was probably our fantasy was that no one was really having quote unquote normal experience. But at the time, I was forming a sense of self that really had to do with their pretty nasty divorce. And I think that that start in life was one of the motivations, if not the main motivation for having me then later on become a psychotherapist and and then an author of love and loving relationships and how to really evolve our capacity to love and be loved. And I feel like with my most recent book, Conscious Uncoupling, I'm kind of venturing into the swamplands of where most of us fail to love each other at the end of a relationship and tend to you know, even that, and the nicest of us will somehow justify bad behavior because when we feel so victimized by another person, it's somehow a free fall permission to behave in ways that then victimize others. Conscious uncoupling is really about how we might begin to do this better and how we might learn how to come back to ourselves and unentangle our lives in a way that's not so violent and maybe even pretty kind and compassionate and self-loving. And, and so there's the, the five-step process that I lay out really allows us to do that because our biology is not really set up to have us do that well. Absolutely. And before this conscious uncoupling work that you do now, which Gwyneth Paltrow has made so well-known across the lexicon in our society, you started with calling in the one, or maybe that wasn't your start, but you became very well-known at that chapter of your life. So what in your personal life inspired calling in the one? And then what in your personal life inspired conscious uncoupling? Calling in the one was written really as a, a how-to manual on how to dissolve the inner obstacles to love and become magnetic to a soulmate relationship. You know, my history was, of course, fraught with anything, but I was repelling to the right one actually for many years. And I had this pattern of very challenging relationships where somehow someone was always unavailable. And, you know, I married men loved me. Alcoholic men were really drawn to me. Workaholic men. My big joke is gay men who wanted to explore were very fascinated with me. <laughs> you know, but I never seemed to me like that nice man that you would bring home to mother. And it just eluded me. And I somehow thought after years of that kind of a pattern. And then, of course, I worked with the homeless for 10 years. So I worked with homeless parolees for a while. So they were endlessly fascinated with me and always making a play for me. So I always attracted in these wildly inappropriate people. You know, it really seemed just like it was just kind of happening to me. I couldn't quite understand it. Somehow I came to some idea that it must be my fate to be alone in this lifetime. 
And so when I reached the age of 41, I was grieving terribly because I'd never had a child and I had always wanted a family. But I was fortunate that I was a part of a group that was meeting weekly that was a group of folks who were supporting each other to manifest intentions. And most of them were professional intentions or financial intentions. Someone wanted to buy a house, someone wanted to double their business. But I had just come off another six-month love affair with somebody who you know, revealed after six months that he was not available again. And so I just really hit a bottom. And I called a friend from this group. And I said, I'm going to set a really outrageous intention to be engaged by my 42nd birthday. And I had no prospects for a husband. It was eight months away. It was a ludicrous thing to say because I'd been trying my whole life to find the right partner. But the thing that she said to me that really transformed my life forever, is she responded by saying, Catherine, I will hold that intention with you if you give me permission to hold you accountable for being the woman that you would need to be in order to manifest that intention. And what that question did for me, Jess, it allowed me to take my focus off of running out to try and find someone and to put all of my attention on myself to discover how I might be the source of my own experience that was outside of my conscious awareness. And that began a whole inner journey of self-reflection and asking myself, you know, very deep questions like, what do I get out of being single? What would have me not want to be in a relationship? How am I living my mother's unlived life? What do I really believe deep down inside about my own worthiness to manifest love, to have love in my life, to be supported and honored and treated with respect. So all of these kinds of deep inner reflections. And as I started to ask myself the right questions, I started to see really clearly how I had been covertly keeping love at bay. It was outside of conscious awareness. And so as I was doing this work several weeks in, I started every morning with prayer and reflection and just sitting and listening So that's, I suppose, a form of meditation where prayer might be talking to God, but listening is a form of meditation. And and I was just open. I was, what do I need to learn today? Who do I need to be in order to manifest this intention? What would I need to give up? What would I need to start to cultivate within myself? And as I sat with these questions, a lot of intuitive kind of hits would come up. And I had an intuitive hit to look up a man that I had dated six years earlier, and I didn't do it. I mean, everything else that was coming in, I did, but I was just convinced that this man was married already. He was such a great guy, and I just felt you know, too self-conscious to do it, so I didn't do it. A couple of weeks later, I went to a church service at a community, a spiritual community. I've been attending services that for 10 years, had never seen this man, the man I dated there at these services. And lo and behold, I look up and he is across the parking lot. You would think that I'd been thinking about him and getting a hit to call him. You'd think I'd go say hello, but I didn't. I had a shy attack and I turned my back and I walked. (laughs) So he sees you and he sees you walk away. So by the time I gathered my courage, he was gone. And then I said that thing that we all say to ourselves when we lack courage. I guess it wasn't meant to be. And I went on with my day. But two weeks after that, I was complaining to a dear friend on the phone. And I was saying, okay, you know, I have this intention to be engaged by my birthday. I haven't even met the person. He's late. Where is he? She said, you have to get online. Now, Jess, this is like 15 years ago. Nobody was online back then. So it was like a crazy thing to do. And But I was coachable. And I did. And I got online. And there were a quarter of a million people on this site And I ended up responding to one person completely anonymously. And when he wrote me back the next day... It was him? (gasps) It was him. What? Isn't that crazy? So we went out and really within just a matter of days, I knew that he was the man I would marry. And we ended up getting married the next year. And then I gave birth to our daughter at the age of 43. So when I created that miracle for myself, because remember, I'd never been married before... I looked back and I said, okay, what did I just do? How did this go so well? And I was able to narrow it down to seven steps that I started to teach other people 
and then ended up getting a book deal on because it was so popular, which went right onto the bestseller list within a few weeks. My first book ever and has since gone on to help hundreds of thousands of people because the process works for people who apply it. So that's the calling in the one work. And here I am, so living my happily ever after life and probably about seven years in, my former husband now and I started to contemplate getting unmarried. And we did so because we weren't one of those couples who had a high, high, high level of conflict or you know, were so reactive to each other. But what happened is in the field of the love that we provided for each other, we both started to really grow and develop into really, I think, who we had kind of the deeper desire to become, the ways that we wanted to develop ourselves. And they were super opposite. So he started to develop his philosophies. I was developing mine. And at some point, we just found ourselves pretty disengaged from each other and really good friends and good co-parents. And at some point, we decided that we really didn't need to be partnered with each other, that there was some way that the marriage was each actually holding each of us back. You know, it's interesting to tell the story now because I've just learned so much now. You know, I'm always learning and growing and developing and there's always the road not taken. But this was the road that was taken. I think in hindsight, we have such a great relationship today. It was a really healthy decision. But this is the thing. We went through our uncoupling with so much thoughtfulness and kindness and cohesion for our daughter. We went out of our way to minimize trauma. We went out of our way to do what I call offer parting gifts to each other so that there was a sense of generosity and goodwill that was happening. So all of these things, and most of the people who were watching us go through this, like where they were kind of amazed, like, well, we've never really seen people break up like this. So how is this happening? So again, this beautiful destiny I have with my former husband, we're both now of these teachings, calling in the one and conscious uncoupling have come out of my experience with him. But we had a very kind breakup, which just did minimal damage to ourselves and each other and our daughter and to our community. And where everyone really thinks holistically and set everyone up to win moving forward. And we have been building our post-divorce expanded family ever since. So that gave birth a second time to a second book, Conscious Uncoupling, Five Steps to Living Happily Even After. And it's really about the evolution of a relationship after a breakup or because not everyone is going to stay in relationship after a breakup or how to maximize your own growth and development during a breakup so that you're not left dimmed down for having had a breakup. And a lot of us do live lesser lives in the aftermath of lost love. Uh, We don't trust ourselves to ever really open up our hearts again. We're left with the residue of feeling resentful or feeling insecure about our own value or our own capacities to love and be loved. We're left saddled with residue of all that was unhealed between ourselves and our former partners. So conscious uncoupling literally takes people through the hand and leads them step by step through that process so that on the in the, in the aftermath of a breakup, you're actually left in a place where you are more equipped to love with an even bigger, more trusting heart than ever before. And that's where I feel like Mr. Lively and I are. And I actually really resonated with your decision and process because it sounds like you guys had a difference in values towards the end. We did. That's a very good way to say it. And, you know, a lot of people say, Jess, that, oh, we grew apart. But that's actually what the growth apart is, is when what's most important to each of you is different. And when you have a values shift like that, it's very challenging to stay in a marriage. I mean, people do it. And I will support marriages to stay together. Because I think there's a lot of integrity to that. But a lot of us are going to choose out of marriages too. And conscious uncoupling is an alternative to the hostile, antagonistic ways that we normally think that that process should go. I mean, I want to make space for you to talk about what's happening with you and Mr. Lively. Basically, we moved to Ann Arbor a few months ago with the intention to have children and grow a big house addition and do what we both valued in common. So children in the home and the family, we shared. But if you look at a Venn diagram, 
if we both have these core sets of values, the overlap was in the family and the home and the environment and our cozy companionship and friendship. But our other values were outside of the overlapped core center. So what happened once we got here with this intention to, or plan, I should say, to actually do this, we realized that our careers in particular kind of started in personal lives as a result of some things happening in our careers, kind of started to feel different, like much more different, much more expressively different. They were always slightly different, maybe in some ways, like for me, this personal growth that I'm on personally and ultimately get to share on this show is changing my life. And I'm so inspired by the work I'm doing. And I just want to go 110%. I want to, I'm so inspired and excited. And this is the dream life and career and impact I've always wanted to have. And I'm so humbled that I'm here after 10 years of working towards this. And I cannot wait to see what is next. And I want to go take this to the next 10 levels, if that makes sense. And Mr. Lively wants to have amazing values. And I think they're completely valid that he wants to live a life that doesn't necessarily involve excessive amounts of personal growth like it does in my case. I wouldn't say he's not interested in personal growth at all, but it's just not to the extreme of myself. And also he wants to live a life that isn't much more, uh, I guess I would say, I don't like the word balance, but he wants to enjoy snowboarding and and having a farm or animals. He just wants to have this wonderful life that's not all about work. And though I don't see my life all about work per se, I see it's all very cohesive and very intertwined at this point. I could see that I don't want to drag him across the world or feel limited by my family and the roots we would set here. We had different values. I mean, we just had different core values. And as a result of those, we wanted to do different things. And it was very clear to see that holding hands together going forward from this point forward would be like crouching down into a little box we could both fit in and agree upon. But I would much rather high five him and stand fully tall and just support him in his life and in mine and and let us go live these exciting adventures that we want to have rather than trying to settle on something we both can agree upon. Oh, that's beautifully said. I love those images. I just I can feel it in my body as you're talking. And I just want to kind of scoop the listener in too, because I want to name something for us that I talk about in the postscript of Conscious Uncoupling, which is that we live in America, anyway, we live with these tensions between these kind of values which are somewhat at odds. And one is the value of loyalty and fidelity to your family and keeping our word and the vows that we make and the importance of that. And then the other is kind of the ideal of the pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of liberty. And even America as a country was founded by people who went rogue, who like left their governments, left their families and went on an adventure of self-actualization to create a better world for themselves. And so in America, we have like both, you know, that are kind of warring. More of us, America has one of the highest marriage rates in the world. We believe in love. We believe in fidelity and in pledging devotion to one person. But we are also primed for self-actualization. And we believe in personal growth. And these two things will be at odds sometimes. And so our decisions or our choice to end up leaving a relationship is one that we are making more and more. And we want to be able to do it without shame. I feel no shame. I see that what we have done based in part through your process as applying it is that we've just updated the program. So I'm still loyal to him. I will be lifelong friends. We've updated our vows from the wedding, which for me, they were to love, honor, respect, and love him as unconditionally as possible. And in that closing ceremony to update my vows, obviously about the fidelity in particular, I guess, those kinds of things we needed to update. But the rest of them, I feel like I can embody those more than ever, that no longer am I asking him to share a life that would be what I want but I truly want the life that he wants and all of it for him. And I just think it's wonderful that we both are very fortunate to feel the same. I think that this is probably infinitely more difficult when people, A, have children. We were about to go down that path and this was kind of this course correction of playing out the moves. I look at it kind of like chess and we kind of saw what that future could look like and it would be wonderful. And we totally could have done it. We loved each other deeply. We still do. We just want to support each other to live these wonderful lives that we 
really want according to our values and we actually feel inspired by the beauty of our marriage. And we're so grateful we did it. We're also so grateful we didn't go to the step of children because then you're constantly intertwined in the future if this was ever an issue in the future. But we feel inspired to really live those values and the ways that we truly want to, not just to go back to the safe zone of the overlap in that we could have stayed together and had that life anyways. We feel really inspired to truly commit to for me, you know, traveling all over the world and doing all of these things I'm so excited to do and share with my future partner and for him as well. He feels inspired to go really do all these things that he's always desired to do in a way that may not have been the right fit for us together. So we really want to support each other in that. And I, I'm just so grateful that it doesn't have to be a shame or a loss, but it can be an expansion for everyone involved, especially when there's no children involved. Wow, that's beautiful. And you also mentioned that you did a ceremony of sorts. Yes. Yeah, so one of your steps involves the, I think it's step four or five, and we'll get into the steps in a second. But yes, I actually honestly found more love in that closing ceremony than the wedding. And that sounds negative or a diss to the wedding, but the truth is, it was stunning. It was beautiful. We sat on the sofa. I was wearing a sweatshirt, <laughs> unlike the wedding, you know, where you looking all you're looking your best at the wedding. This was we were getting his car packed up for his new adventures in Oregon. And we had kind of gotten to this place where we were going to do the ceremony at night. And I found my vows through unpacking or packing up all of his memories and things from the home, which was the hardest part for me, honestly, was pulling out the memories of his childhood and all the things that had been intertwined for us and pulling those and putting those not in my drawers, but in his drawers or in his car. But I found the wedding vows and I saw them and I was like, how beautiful is this? I can easily live these values in an even more effortless and true and unadulterated way going forward than it was even to do it well together. And we, there's a lot of crying and snot involved. <laughs> there's a lot of just sat and I just loved on him and shared all the wonderful ways he was a wonderful husband and all of the wonderful things I learned when I grew with him. And I asked for forgiveness for anything that wasn't love and just really was so excited about his future. And then shared the vows and released him from the fidelity parts of it in particular. And then he did the same for me. And then he also shared a post because he knew he didn't want to be interviewed on the show for this, but he also knew that people are going to be wondering what the other side of the story is. So he wrote a beautiful post for me to share, which is on the blog as well. And he shared that with me and it was stunning and beautiful. And, and then we went and had champagne at a restaurant that we both love. Mm. And we took our rings off at that point as well. That was the other piece of this. Wow. It just sounds so moving. I think there's something to that moment where you're acknowledging the limitations of the relationship. And you know now that this person is not going to be the be it and end all and that you're not going to get everything that you want from them. And to affirm the value of love and to affirm your blessing on their lives, even when they're what they're choosing to do might feel frightening or disappointing to you. It's almost like the best that love has to offer in that moment. So I understand when you say I felt more loved during the ceremony than during the wedding. And I think that that's a shocking concept to people. But I'll also say that as sometimes people do these ceremonies, where other people are witnessing and they're a part of the ceremonies. And I have just heard story after story about how moving the ceremonies are and that people are even more moved than when they're at a wedding. Because to affirm love in the face of that disappointment really does occur for us like we live in a loving universe. We live in a friendly universe and you can make choices and there's forgiveness and there's graciousness and we can have mercy on each other and all of these things that make life, you know, really beautiful. And throughout the whole process, I would tip back and forth almost between two paradigms or two lenses, if you will, two prescriptions in your eyeglasses. The one way I could look at it was that my family is splitting up. My puppy who I've raised since he was born basically with Mr. Lively and my husband are going away. They're going to be out of my life. I'm losing half of my family. And that would bring me to tears and this scarcity mindset. But the other way, and I kept flip-flopping and trying both pairs of glasses on and seeing which one fit. The other way of looking at it was that we are an open family as we're now our expanded family, as you call it, and that we're both 
the dog and Mr. Lively are going on their adventures and Ellie and I are going on ours and that there's nothing lost here. Our companionship day to day is no longer here. But the love is not lost. The love is still there. And that completion ceremony was huge. It was so much more challenging before that ceremony in the weeks leading up to it than it was after that. Because before any moment where we were really positive and happy made me feel like, oh, is this, did you not love me? Or is this not the, you know, was it not good enough? And then that expression of deep love has like squelched any possible doubt about what that meaning of that relationship meant in our lives. And we would never be the same people we are today without each other. So there's nothing to be lost, only more to be gained. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, you know, I am a psychotherapist, so I just kind of want to point out too that one of the things that I think we struggle with at the end of a relationship is that we're not just losing that person, we're losing the identity of who we were in that relationship. And I think that the confusion that happens for us in a breakup is kind of what you were saying, where you're trying to process it, am I not good enough? What does the breakup mean about me? And usually we'll make it mean like, you know, you know, I'll always be alone in life, or no one will ever love me, or I'm not good enough somehow for the other person to stay. So we have all these meanings that we're making. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that somehow you were able to be so present. He was able to be so present in that ceremony that you received his love for you and you really got who you are for this man. And that became fixed in time. That became a, that's the imprinting now. So you might have an adjustment of missing certain things like a normal grieving process, but you're not going to torture yourself with what I would call like unnecessary grief, you know, unnecessary suffering, which is when we fixate on these bad self-concepts because we feel guilty that we left or we feel like we weren't good enough and those things lodge in us and that's actually where we end up dimming down our capacity for love moving forward so you know I just really want to reflect back to you that that was just beautifully done and I'm just hearing how many choices you're making that are all about authentic love and keeping it real and staying optimistic and positive and generating a positive outcome for everyone involved. So I would love to hear what your advice is for people, because this was something that was tricky. And I think a lot of people listening to this episode who may not have committed to an uncoupling of any kind or a completion of any relationship but are wondering, is this the right move? So how would you answer someone who asks, I'm not sure whether I should end this relationship or not, or if this is something that needs to end? How do I know if it's time or if I should? I love that question, Jess. And one of the things that I encourage people to do if they're on the fence is to actually read the Conscious Uncoupling book because what those five steps are going to do when you are in a relationship and you're not yet out of it or not even sure if you're going to get out of it, there are skills and capacities that I'm teaching which have to do with lowering reactivity so that you can keep your wits about you and not be so reactive and kind of nip that cycle of devolution, you know, into reactivity and fighting in the bud. You get more of a handle on your hot emotions from step one, which is find emotional freedom. You can also in step two, you're going to start to learn how to examine yourself as the source of whatever's happening. And usually it's very easy for us to see how the other person is letting us down or how they're hurting us or how we feel betrayed or, you know, that somehow our attention will go more to what the other person is doing wrong, how they're not behaving in a way that has us feel valued or honored or respected without seeing our own part in that. And it's just kind of where we are collectively in our development. It's very hard for us to see how we are the source of our experience. And so in step two, I talk about reclaiming your power and reclaiming your life. And the reclamation of power is always going to be tied into the ability to take responsibility for our part in things. Now, it's important to do if you're breaking up, certainly, because you need to be able to know that you don't want to make these same mistakes ever again. 
And if you're ever going to open up your heart or hope to love again, you need to be able to know that. And I tell people, even if it's 97% the other person's fault, because we will feel that it is, you know, that our role in it was minimal. Just look at your 3%. Maybe it was even passive. Maybe it was that you, you know, you you didn't speak up or you were self-abandoning to stay in the relationship or you were dismissing your own deeper knowing or you were, you lacked the courage to ask the questions that you would have needed to ask to really be on the same page you know all these kinds of covert ways where we're kind of participating in our own demise if you're in a relationship it's going to really give you a lot of power to begin to restore the relationship to higher levels of health and well-being for you to be able to start to see clearly your own part in things and to start to rectify that by making an amends to the other person and yourself how you're starting to show up and an amends might be you know I'm going to start listening to my deeper knowing. I'm going to start speaking up for myself. I'm going to start pushing back. So it's getting outside of victimization and starting to locate your power in the relationship. And then in step three, I'm teaching people how to break the pattern that's been habitual. And most of us have these patterns from early childhood that have to do with feeling underloved or people always leaving us or people always disappointing us or somehow you know, we get ourselves into dynamics where the other person is, it's all about them and not about us, or it's an abusive dynamic. And it's very frustrating because it's hard for us to like really see how that pattern is happening through us as opposed to just to us. And in step three, I really help people to understand what I call your source fracture wound, the original break in your heart, the original hurt in your heart. And the meaning you made of what happened, it probably was with one of your caregivers, your mom or your dad or your grandma or your Uncle Jim or somebody important to you, an older sibling. But the meaning that we made of, of what was happening about ourselves, others, and life, and then how that's been playing out ever since. And it really allows us to see that source fracture wound clearly, challenge it, and graduate beyond it finally. And to be able to do that when you're in a relationship is profound. And to start to see it from that perspective and see how much power you have to actually evolve the dynamic is startling for people. And then, of course, step four, which is going to really help people to clear the air between themselves and their former partner so that you don't have stacked grief or stacked disappointments that are just like little minefields that you're walking around. You can really clear them. And then in step five, creating your happily even after life, I think what you were alluding to before was the ceremony helped to look at the agreements that the old configuration of the relationship was inside of. What were the agreements of the marriage and how are you going to redesign those agreements moving forward so that your expectations are in alignment with the reality of where you are? And I think the ability to kind of reflect on what are my expectations of myself and the other person here. And what would be a more appropriate, a healthier expectation? What's the new agreement that I might make moving forward? It actually could be quite a chiropractic adjustment to the marriage <laughs> and save a marriage, you know, which I'm really excited about too. I've, I've definitely heard feedback that people have been able to recouple as opposed to uncouple because of the process. Yeah, one of the things I took away and made sure that I was very cognizant of because we're still in communication. Obviously, there are things that need to be day to day still dealt with in the relationship and also just because we're still on great terms. But I wanted to make sure that attachment, you made a very good point about making sure that people don't stay super attached to the point where they cannot attach to new people in the future and that they need to find their emotional balance outside of that partnership. And for example, I just got a flat tire for their first time in my life, which I guess is a good thing at 31 to <laughs> finally have had a flat tire. But that would have typically been something I immediately would have gone for help from him. I would have called and leaned on him about the emotional or the, even just the logistical challenges of that. And I made sure to not call him and not tell him. Eventually it came up in conversation of how's your day going? And I shared that it happened, but it was taken care of and it was never something I had to go to him to feel better about or to solve, which is 
kind of building up on these skills that when you're married and you or in a partnership for any amount of time, you can often individualize different tasks or skills. And it's kind of been a little bit uncomfortable, but now I'm getting much more and more comfortable with like regaining all the territory that I'm in charge of rather than just what I used to be. But my favorite piece, the most helpful, and it's the most elemental of this whole process, which I think applies to everyone listening to the show, is step one in affect labeling. Can you share what that is? Because it has been life-changing and it's something I hope to keep doing in my life the rest of my life. Oh, that's so great. Well, affect labeling is a psychological term for a practice that I have in, in step one called creating an inner sanctuary of safety. And one of the things that happens during a breakup is that we get flooded with fight or flight hormones. You know, nature has really not designed us to separate. Nature has designed us to bond. And many hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, if you wandered away from your loved ones, it was most certain death. And so what happens in the body is that the body is is programmed you know, much the same way it was for our ancestors to go into great, you know, warning, 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 do not leave this person, warning, you could die, warning. So we start to feel overwhelmed with a lot of, you know, fear and terror and feelings like we're going to die. And then the other thing that happens is that nature, again, has hardwired us for bonding. And so nature would almost rather we move to from soulmate to soul hate than, than soulmate to nothing. And like the existential angst of really releasing a person. So what that means is that we will get a lot of instincts to hate somebody, to become obsessive about all of the, you know, things that they've done wrong. We kind of all, the desire to revenge or, you know, have all of these kind of nasty ways that are of keeping a relationship inside alive, but negatively as opposed to positively. And I actually think it's nature's trick to keep us bonded. And so we have all this going on in a breakup. We have these big feelings, fear, rage, anger, despair, hatred, desire to hurt. I mean, all of these things that can really take us over and and in many ways take us out. And if we don't have a way to get a handle on these hot emotions, we're liable to take action from a very primitive part of ourselves and start to generate a very toxic dynamic. And, you know, we all know this as people who are in court and you're just like, you know, going through their child's college fund like it were cotton candy, you know, just with, you know, high-priced attorneys. And they're just so hell-bent on getting revenge and getting their due and getting justice. And, you know, they get consumed and it can really make you quite sick and, and cause you to burn down the house, really. So we really want to behave well at the end of love. There's um, a beautiful Buddhist teacher named Ken McLeod who talks about this idea of karma which most of us think of as, you know, we do something good and then something good happens to us, kind of cause and effect. But the real Sanskrit meaning of the word karma has to do with planting a seed and gaining results. So every action that we take is like planting a seed. And so when we plant seeds of goodwill, generosity, forgiveness, behaving with ethics, behaving with kindness, what we're doing is we're really planting seeds for our future because we have to remember that every seed we plant will grow into a tree and we will be eating the fruits of that tree for many years to come. So step one is all about helping people to get a handle on these hot emotions with this very simple technique, affect labeling, which is simply that the ability to name a feeling that we're having suddenly puts us in charge of the feeling. So rather than the feeling having us, we now have the feeling. It came about from the work of uh, Matthew Lieberman at UCLA, where he and his colleagues did a study on the computer and they had people rigged up to little machines that were monitoring heart rate and blood pressure and body temperature. And they were flashing images on the screen 
of faces that were just people like screaming or terrified or, you know, in, in like deep trauma states, just one state after another and monitoring heart rate and everything that's happening in the body. And then when they put those same images up, but with a name on it, anger, rage, terror, fear, despair, suddenly the body was not as reactive. So that's where we learned that labeling our feelings actually diminishes their intensity. And I put this practice in where it's not just labeling from a cognitive place, from a, you know, a mind, like what am I feeling? There's also a way that I encourage us to get in relationship with the part of the self that's having the feelings. So now there's the kind of the adult, wise, resourceful self that we really all are. Intuition. Into intuitive self, soulful self, exactly. Like we're turning towards ourselves and with great kindness, we're saying, you know, Catherine, sweetheart, what are you feeling right now? Right? And I might like just check in and I might say I'm feeling completely overwhelmed. Right? And then we're going to mirror it back. We're going to say, you know what? I really see that you're overwhelmed. And then I even borrow against um, a Buddhist practice uh, called Tanglen. And Tanglen is, uh, is a practice that helps people to bear kind of unbearable suffering. And the practice is, so I might take now this feeling of overwhelm, and I might breathe it into my heart. And I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to welcome in this feeling of overwhelm. I'm going to, on the in-breath, breathe it right into my heart. And then on the out-breath, I'm going to breathe out a blessing for all human beings in the world who are suffering with this terrible feeling of overwhelm including myself in this very moment. And suddenly we're reconnected again to the human race. And suddenly we are now a force of healing. We are a force of containment. And you see, from this place, we're not only going to lessen the pain that we're in and the suffering that we're experiencing, but we're going to lessen our reactivity. And we're going to start to feel a little bit more sane and less crazy. It's been so helpful. And also, you had shared it in one of your interviews I heard over and over again. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling overwhelmed. How am I feeling? I'm feeling hopeful. How am I feeling? I'm feeling scared. And like they could be contrasting emotions at the same time. Usually we'll have like six to eight different feelings happening all at once. And they're completely can be contradicting each other. They don't seem to have any problems with that. You know, I'm really hopeful and excited and I'm really in despair and terror, you know, and and that's, you know, just in the last 20 seconds. <laughs> so they're all living together. And yes, so that's the practice is to keep going. And what else are you feeling, Catherine? Well, I also feel kind of, you know, relieved. Wow. Yeah, I can see that you're relieved, you know. So but any feeling that's difficult to hold, adding that tonglen piece will really start to feel like you have a big enough container. Because sometimes just, you know, alone with ourselves is not a big enough container. But suddenly if you begin to remember like, oh, there's at least like 500,000 people around the world who are suffering with this exact same feeling in this exact same moment, suddenly I have a big enough container to hold it. I can bear this easier now and I don't have to, you know, react or try and do something destructive to try and get it out of my body. And um, that practice actually is on my website. Um, I created a whole series of practices for people that I give out when people join the consciousuncoupling.com community. So if anyone wants to get a hold of that practice, I did put that down for people and I send it to people at no charge just as a gift. One of the things I was excited to share with you, Catherine, and also for those who are listening as well, is one of the big things we learned through this process was how to share this information with people in our lives. Because it's it's pretty understood culturally, at least in our culture that I'm in, it, like how to deal with good news, to get excited for someone. People know, generally speaking, depending on the circumstances, when a baby, having a baby is great news to receive or when getting married is good news. But when you're giving news that's difficult, like someone died or there's an illness or there's a relationship that's ending, often what I found through this whole experience is if you just tell them the news and wait for them to react, then you're looking for one of maybe one or two different reactions that are appropriate for you. But that person has not been prepped with what is the appropriate response. So you're kind of, if you're the one giving the news and you don't get the one or two respectable 
ideal reactions, then you can judge or blame the person because they did not react in the way that you wanted them to. So what we ended up realizing is that by sharing what we were looking for before we gave them the news, we were equipping them to understand how to support us immediately once they heard the news. So though they may have their own opinions or reactions to it, they knew in that moment what we wanted from them. And they were totally obviously allowed to have their own opinions or thoughts or judgments, but they were also prepped and primed to know how we wanted them to react to us in that moment. And that was incredibly powerful. So we would share, we're looking for love and support for this mutual decision. And then we would tell the news. And at that point, if the person did not give us love and support and encouragement as we asked them to, we knew that that was really a reflection of them not being able to get over their own story about what that means. But 99% of the time, people were able to reflect back to us what we most wanted and needed in that moment. And that was a huge revelation for us that I never truly understood until this moment. But is that something that others can use for other scenarios? Or have you heard of that before? That's gorgeous. It's just so smart that you were able to do that. Because I think, I mean, there are kind of cultural norms that of where people go if you just give them the news without that kind of guidance. If you say, you know, my boyfriend and I are breaking up, you're likely to get, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. You know, I think you can do better than him or I never liked him very much anyway or he wasn't good enough for you. So there's an immediate devaluing of the relationship or an immediate devaluing of that person that's kind of automatic that even very conscious people will do because it's a way that we kind of collectively express our support. So I found that in order to train people to not do that, I had to actually give them almost like a little manual, like, well, Mark and I have decided to get unmarried. We're going to get divorced and no one's the bad guy here. And he's a great guy and he's the father of my daughter. And so we're going to treat him with respect and honor him. And then, you know, then people kind of adjusted to that. But you, you really do. Like whether you say it the way I said it or the way you said it, like you have to give people a manual because otherwise they won't know how to behave and they'll just slip into that old way of being. Yeah, it's been amazing. And it's actually set up such great connections to even relationships that in the past have a lot of pain around them to have seen that by prepping in this way, they were able to properly react, created a huge bond of appreciation that at first I was dreading telling <laughs> one person in particular. And the reaction was so exactly what I asked for that it felt so amazing to be received in that way and has only created better bonds going forward. And that person just continues to show love and support. And it's it's really incredible and unexpected. But I think it all came down to priming them and prepping them for what we were really looking for before we gave them the news. That's really beautiful, Jess. It's so wise. What about for people that do not have this mutualness around this? What about for people who the partner may not want to approach it in this conscious completion way? How do you suggest people handle this when it's not like you're going hand in hand together down this path? Well, I'm so heartened by your story. And I have to say that since the book came out in September, I've been hearing more and more of these kinds of stories. And it's really moving to me to see this. But I think the more typical experience is that one person's going to want to do this consciously and the other person won't and they'll be in reactivity. And I think the thing about doing conscious uncoupling without your partner is that it can really help to minimize your own reactivity so that you're not letting someone else's unconscious, immature behavior dictate who you are going to be. I see it as a, a form of giving our power away to someone when other people are behaving badly and we go into reaction to that. So, you know, it, it's an opportunity for great development and growth. Uh, it takes a certain commitment and rigor to be generative as opposed to reactive, to continue to generate a spirit of fairness or a spirit of goodwill to, um, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do. We have a lot more power than we think we do diffuse people. And the where we lose power, truthfully, is that we tend to get reactive and then forget 
who we are and how much influence we have with our actions and our words and our deeds over the ability to kind of de-escalate someone's anger. So I encourage a lot of gestures of generosity, not because you're trying to ingratiate yourself, not because you're afraid the other person will be mad at you and you're trying to mitigate that, but a certain generosity that is putting you in charge of the situation where you are going to kind of set the bar a bit higher on how things are going to go. Uh, I teach a lot of those kinds of techniques in step four. The, the, the name of step four is become a love alchemist. So it's like taking whatever is coming your way and transforming it into goodness and positivity and being able to keep things on track. I also remind people that conscious uncoupling does not mean that nobody loses their temper it does not mean that you have to be the best of friends moving forward. It does not mean that, you know, everything's going to be perfectly fair. Conscious uncoupling is really about leaving whoever is participating free from the residue of a hurting heart and the incompletions of a relationship. It will actually liberate a person to go on and create a happier life on the other side of heartbreak. The patient on the operating table is you. That's, that's basically what I tell people. And we haven't really discussed the people that have children going through a conscious completion. Do we have any thoughts that we could quickly touch on that might address that for people who might be wondering how that applies? Well, thank you. I mean, my former husband and I um, are joined at the hips because we do have a daughter. I look for structures holistically. I think creating wholesome structures for children is what really matters. And I think that people get really caught up in wanting bigger piece of the pie. And yet I, I try and shift the perspective when you have children. There's generally going to be a bit of a drop in finances or, you know, because you're, you're going from one household to now two households, the same amount of money is generally needing to support two homes. So downsizing is not a bad idea. And one of the things that I know this is such, you know, people get very attached to their things, but I'd rather have a really healthy daughter. So for, for example, right now, my former husband and I live in kind of modest apartments in the same building. So my daughter has her bedroom on the fourth floor and I have my apartment on the ninth floor and she just goes back and forth between the two at will. And she feels like she lives in the whole building. So she's not divided. And then we will, you know, have all of our holidays together and our celebrations will celebrate her together. So we really operate as an expanded family. We don't have any tensions or residue that she's navigating between. We're very, very good to each other. We look out for each other. We look out for because we're that's how we're taking care of our daughter. And so at one point that was a discipline, but now it's actually kind of a joy. And I really enjoy my relationship with him. And I think he enjoys his relationship with me. And so we're living our happily even after life here. And I look forward to one day having a big house again, but it's not the time for that right now. I'd rather have a very well-adjusted, happy daughter. And it just feels really wholesome and clean to be living like this. Yeah, you're living your values that are most important to you rather than outcomes that are just really shiny pennies. Exactly. I love that. So what doubts or internal resistance are you facing in your life right now? I mean, truthfully, the biggest thing that I'm dealing with right now has to do with one of my values is to live pretty close to my heart and to live true and to be good to people. And one of the things I find in terms of keeping your heart open is that it requires a certain level of integration time or self-care time or downtime or time just to listen to your own intuition and your own intuitive knowing. And I'm also wanting very much to have an impact for good in culture. So I have the opportunity to build a lot and be with extraordinary people like yourself, Jess. But you know, it's easy to get a really busy schedule. So right now, one of the things that I'm really working with is making sure that I prioritize my own self-care and listening to the whisperings of life within myself and to make time for creativity that has no goal or agenda other than the joy of creativity. That's actually my key priority right now is fun and leisure because my intrinsic priorities have always been my home and my work. By accessing and strengthening the fun and the leisure, that that's going to open up a lot of breathing room in the other areas of my life. I think it's really true. I'm reading this great book right now called Sabbath which is written by a gentleman, Wayne 
Mueller from Harvard Divinity School, and it's so beautiful. He just really breaks out the need for rest and the importance of uh, just rejuvenation and downtime. So it's really feeding my soul. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? You know, I think that the investment in yourself is the best investment you can make. When I was starting out on the journey, I was a little resentful that my friends were seemed to be really taking off career-wise and they were buying things and putting their money into buying apartments or houses. And, and I was putting my money into transformative seminars, <laughs> therapy, you know, healers. And boy, am I glad I did that. I think investing my money in my own growth and development was really great. And I just really want to encourage people to prioritize that. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being a light for myself and Mr. Lively. I would not be able to communicate and have gone through this relationship process and completion so wholeheartedly. And though it's not always been easy and there has been loss, the way we've approached it with this perspective and affect labeling as a part of it as well has really changed our trajectory. And I can only thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're so welcome, Jess. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And Catherine, thank you not only for coming on the show, but also creating this very important work. If you'd like to send Catherine a message, you can do so over on Twitter at Cat Woodward Tom. That's T H O M, and the cat is with a K. So at Cat Woodward Tom. As for myself, you can find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at Jess C as in Conscious Completion Lively. For show notes for today's episode, you can go over to JessLively.com slash Catherine Woodward Thomas. And to read Mr. Lively's post about his take on our conscious completion of our relationship, you can go over to JessLively.com slash Mr. Lively Marriage. I thank him so much, not only for obviously our relationship thus far and into the future, but also so, so much for writing such a beautiful piece on our conscious completion. And of course, thank you for your support. You guys are amazing. I love you so much. You don't even know how much I love you. And I'm so glad that I'm now able to share this with you guys, having had some time to process this on our own first. And I'm so excited for 2016. Please know that I see this truly in my own life. And also, I think for Mr. Lively, for sure, as well, we see this as a trampoline moment, one that is not just going to be, oh, are we going to keep going on the same trajectory we've been on before? Or are we going to be worse off. We really do see this as a trampoline that is going to propel us to living our true and deepest, fullest values in every way going forward. For myself, that looks like a lot of adventure and travel and seeing you guys in person and just really connecting to this work that I am on, this path I am on personally and sharing what I learn along the way with you. It is incredibly gratifying. I'm so grateful for my life and please know I am as much as this is difficult, happier and more joyful than I've ever been before. And I know that this is going to be the same for Mr. Lively. I think this is also true for him. And I think that this is a seminal moment that is going to change the trajectory of our lives in beautiful ways. Before I share who's coming up next week on the show, I'd like to share a little bit about today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. Over the year, you guys have heard me share about FreshBooks.com so many times. And let me just say, if you are a business owner and you have not gotten your bookkeeping done for 2015 as we get closer to the end of the year, you have nothing to lose by trying out FreshBooks.com and getting a free 30-day trial at FreshBooks.com slash lively. I have used it since 2012. I adore it. I don't know that I could ever love bookkeeping. I didn't think that was possible until I found FreshBooks. I used to use the other main competitor, I suppose that you may call them, to FreshBooks and hated it and did not find that intuitive, did not find it beautiful, did not enjoy going into it. it definitely felt like a chore. FreshBooks has taken something that could easily feel like a chore and made it a joy. So check it out if you haven't already. I just did a strategy session with a bookkeeper kind of CFO type person, if you will, in my business to help project for next year and look at our numbers for this year. And with his help, I was able to see what I'm able to pay myself, what my retirement options are, all these great things because my stuff was taken care of 
pretty automatically when it comes to invoicing. It automatically records my PayPal invoices and then reconciling at the end is a cinch. So check it out if you haven't already. That's freshbooks.com slash lively. All right, and now for next week's show. I'm gonna level with you guys. I feel like Private Jess and Public Jess is finally on the same page, so I'm gonna tell you the other thing that I've been hoping to manifest this year. I don't know if it'll happen. I have been hoping and praying that Brene Brown would be the last guest on The Lively Show in 2015. I have two fun episodes coming up in the second half of December, but next week is the last planned full hour-long guest interview, and I can think of no better person to follow this episode up, this news up with you, than to have Brene share about Rising Strong. Over the last year, to be honest, I have been hoping and praying and working with her team to hopefully make this happen, and I know she's a very busy woman, so I wasn't even planning on telling you guys that I was trying to get her on the show. I wanted to just surprise you with it, but the truth is I haven't heard back any official way, and my heart has been so set on this that I have not actually figured out who else would come on if Brene does not. So there you have it. That's the truth. I've been hoping for Brene. I have been waiting to hear back. I'm not sure if it will happen. So no promises and there's no harm, hard feelings if she does not come on. I know it's the holidays and she has a lot on her plate in her life as well. But if you want to help out, maybe this can be an awesome opportunity to see if you guys can help me as well. Feel free to share on social media with Brene if this is something you'd like to see. I can think of no better message to share and come out of this new chapter in my own personal life than to share with you how I truly believe this is not getting knocked down and knocked out. This isn't even a knockdown, that this is going to be even better than it was before. My life is going to be enhanced in ways and Mr. Lively's life is going to be enhanced in ways we never could have imagined with this new exciting adventure in front of us. So like I said, if you want to help out, that'd be fantastic. Maybe that'll help tip the tide or get the interview on the books. I'm not sure. Maybe she'll come on next year and I'll find someone else for next week. In the meantime, thank you so much. You guys, I wish I could give you all hugs. I'm a big hugger and I really wish I could give you all hugs. Thank you for being a part of my life. Thank you for listening to the story with an open mind and an open heart. I hope that something wonderful happens to you today. 